There we go. We're on now. Sorry, Brian. So they started one by one going through the claims Christianity made. They started with incarnation. No, that's not unique. Other religions have stories of incarnation. Virgin birth. Nope. Other religions have stories of that. Coming back from the dead. No, other religions have stories like that. And this debate went on until C.S. Lewis came into the room and he said, so what's all the fuss about? And they said, well, we're trying to decide what, if any, unique claims are there in Christianity. And C.S. Lewis didn't even need to think about it. He said, that's easy, grace. Easter is ultimately the celebration of grace. The Christ event reveals that God is a God of grace. So grace is exactly what makes Christianity, Christianity. Larry Taunton writes it this way. The keystone that sits atop the grand archway of authentic Christianity is grace. Remove it and the whole edifice collapses no matter what features of Christianity remain. If that is true, grace is obviously very important. Maybe it's the only important thing. So what is it? What is grace? We hear that word a lot, and like any word that we hear a lot, it tends to take on a bunch of different meanings. A good working definition of the word as found in Scripture has to do with the idea of forgiveness and mercy, freely given and without claim or merit by the person it's given to. So then, we could think of it like this. Grace is the forgiveness and mercy God offers to all of us no matter what we have done or will do. Grace, then, is something given to us that we do not deserve and cannot earn or transact for. Which, in theory, sounds beautiful, right? Who among us doesn't want to receive grace when we have done something profoundly wrong? I know for me, grace is what made me a follower of Jesus Christ, Grace is what keeps me a follower of Jesus Christ. In an interview about his own faith, Bono said this, and it resonated with me. Grace interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. I've done a lot of stupid stuff. I'm still doing a lot of stupid stuff. I need grace. I need grace. And I think this is exactly what resonated with St. Paul. St. Paul is credited with writing 13 books, 13 letters, sorry. And in each one, before the third sentence, he uses the word grace. Usually what he says is, grace to you. Most often, he said this, I believe, for a very simple reason. Before Paul became a follower of Christ, he lived a life without grace. To use Easter imagery, if you will, he was stuck on Friday. In his world, crucifixion had the final say. Paul was an executioner, determined to exact human justice and vengeance on all who betrayed his way. Then he met the living Christ, and he was offered grace. And it changed everything. Now he wanted everyone to have grace. Grace to you, he said. But here's the thing. 
as much as we may, in theory, be attracted to grace, how many of us really live it? How many of us that call ourselves Christians live grace? I think there are a few things that keep us from really embracing it and making it a way of life. Keep us like Paul was for so many years, stuck on Friday. The first thing is simple. Grace is a divine idea. And that makes it so hard to wrap our minds around because it's so not human. So we're not even sure what to make of it, never mind live into it. See, humanity functions on get-what-you-deserve system. Whether that's reward for doing good or punishment for doing bad, we love that. That is the human way. That's in our DNA. And especially here in postmodern Western culture, where we are taught from an early age to be independent, take care of ourselves, control our lives and our own destinies. Grace doesn't really add up. Make sure we get what we deserve. Make sure other people get what they deserve. But see, grace functions outside of that. Grace functions outside of the word deserve. Bono, again, in that same interview said, you see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Or in physics, in physical laws, every action is met by an equal or an opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet along comes this idea called grace to upend all that. As you reap, so you will sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. It does. And we don't like things that we can't understand. That's another human trait. Therefore, we think it can't possibly be true. That's why we have even created so-called Christian theologies around something other than grace. There are plenty of theologies out there, and very few of them have to do with grace. Or grace is added in just a little bit. But I think it's the other reason we don't embrace it that's a bit more challenging. And I think it's really the main reason we don't move toward making our lives all about grace. It just seems so unfair, doesn't it? I mean, we can almost endure the unfairness of grace when it's offered us. But even sometimes we have trouble with that because our pride gets in the way. It's really hard to accept grace from people, most of us, because we're proud. No, no, I can do this. And no, don't forgive me, I'm, I deserve it. But when others hurt us, and now we're called to live out grace, there's the rub, right there. And I think more than anything else, this is why our world is stuck on Friday. To live grace certainly can feel like being crucified. I mean, they just hurt us, and now you want us to extend mercy and forgiveness? That can't be right. There are thousands of people, maybe, that were affected by Jesus Christ's life. Hundreds of them may have even been there on Palm Sunday. 
And then as the week wore on, they realized he wasn't going to do anything to the Romans. And he was just going to offer them grace too. There were 11 men and a few women left, by the way, another week. In our world, where man's collective inhumanity to man is an epidemic, as we are reminded again today, grace really seems the last thing that will do us any good, doesn't it? It just seems far easier to desire vengeance in a world so cruel. Easier to insist on human justice in a world so unfair. Easier to remain anxious and despairing in a world under collapse. Easier to remain afraid in a world at war. Easier to hide than to face evil with grace. And so without grace, violence continues to be met with violence, killing with killing, hate with hate, vengeance with more vengeance, and death is winning crucifixion has become the norm. And it's been like this forever. That was the amazing thing about Jesus showing up. Crucifixion was the norm then, before him, since then. The Christian church has jumped two feet in to crucifixion. Christian church has killed lots of people in the name of, of God. But listen, I get it. I get it. I'm not pointing the finger at anyone here. I'm talking to myself. But what if we have simply misunderstood why we are called to grace? What if that's all this is? What if, instead of a command we need to follow to be good Christians and make God love us? Or just to become Christians? What if, instead of an idea that seems stupid and weak and will only lead to our destruction because we need to be strong and self-protecting? Or what if, instead of being an idea that is only for people receiving grace, but horrible for people giving it, as it seems it was horrible for Jesus on Good Friday. What if instead of all those things that maybe we have thought God wants us to live grace, maybe instead of all those things, what if living grace is actually an invitation. An invitation to the only possible way to live the way we all claim to want to live. Healthy, strong, powerful, peaceful, meaningful, authentic lives. What if living grace, instead of being all those things, is an invitation to discover that the one thing we are constantly chasing and never grasp, and if you're old enough, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We all have that one thing, right? If we can just get that one thing. If I could just get a little more me time. If I could just make a little bit more in my paycheck. If I could just have that car. If I could just have that 
person I'm in love with. If I could just, and then you get it, and what happens? Fill in the blank again because we need something else. That obviously didn't do it. I know people today better off financially than they've ever been in their life. And they're cheaper than they've ever been. They're less generous than they've ever been. They're more worried about their finances than they've ever been. How many times I've sat with young couples who want to get married. I've got to get married. I've got to have this person. And that doesn't do it either. So what if we have that thing deep inside because what we're looking for is to live grace? What if that's the only thing we're really looking for, but we're running away from it all this time? What if living grace is actually the one thing that can free us from the pain of being hurt? While our friends and our family and the lies in our head tell us, no, 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 no. They hurt you. Hurt them back. You'll feel better. Mm-mm. What if living grace is how you will feel better? What if living grace is heaven here and now? And all us Christians have been so caught up all this time hoping we get into heaven there and then. And Jesus says, what? The kingdom of heaven is here, now. What if? What if living grace is life, even when it seems it might be killing us? What if we can choose to believe that Jesus Christ's resurrection that we've all come to church to celebrate for together this morning is not just a moment in our history, but is a constant reality of divine redemptive power capable of transforming the worst of humanity. What if we understand that Jesus Christ's resurrection is not just an event from the past to be celebrated, but an experience to share and live now? I think if we could make this paradigm shift in our thinking and in our living which is why we are always exploring it here at Cana, and I'm always exploring it in my life and with my family and my friends, and sometimes with my enemies, is because if we can make this shift, we might just move beyond the way of crucifixion and move into the way of resurrection. And we might realize that all the billions and billions and billions of dollar industry to tell us how to have a good life It's all an illusion. You want a good life? Live grace. Oh, but David, I got to put myself first. That's what they all tell me. I got books on it. Amazon's top selling books are about putting myself first. And yet, anxiety and depression and everything else is at an all-time high. So much for putting ourselves first, I guess. If we can make this paradigm shift, we might move from the circumstance of Friday, the way circumstances control us, 
up when they're good, down when they're bad, up when they're good, down when they're bad. We might move from the circumstance of Friday to the vision of Sunday. We might. And when we do, not only will we be saved, but the world around us too. For this is what Easter is all about. Turning death to life. Taking the unspeakable horror of crucifixion and turning it into the magnificent splendor of resurrection. Now listen, I know what I just said is a lot easier to say than do. I know. I have never pretended to be something I'm not, and I am still trying to figure out how to do this. But I want to. But while I cannot necessarily explain it and don't always live it, I know it is true. I know it is. I know it from the narrative of Scripture. I know it from my own experiences with grace, both receiving and giving. And I know it from true stories of people who have discovered it as true. And I want to share one of those stories now. Which is quite interesting that I picked this story out a couple weeks ago and to wake up to the news that I heard this morning. I shared this story many, 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 many years ago at Cana. If you were here, you pro hopefully you would remember it. But if not, it's good to hear. If you do remember, it's good to hear again, but maybe you've never heard it. This is Bud Welch. He's a guy just like any of us. And this is his beautiful daughter, Julie Marie. And like any of us dads, he loved his daughter more than life. How many little ones do we have around here that are loved more than life? So if you are a parent, right now I want you to get that in you, how much you love your child. Okay. At 8.30 in the morning of April 19, 1995, Julie went to work like she always did at the Alfred P. Murrah building in downtown Oklahoma City. She and her dad planned to meet for lunch at 11.30 like they did every week. He managed a Texaco station in the city. But Julie didn't show up for lunch that day because at exactly 9.02 on that same morning, the Alfred P. Murrah building looked like this. And Julie was dead at the bottom of it because of the bomb of Timothy McVeigh. And Bud Welch had a choice. He could choose grace, or he could choose revenge. He could choose divine love, or he could choose human hate. Understandably, in the beginning, he chose hate. Understandably. These are his own words. Three days after the bombing, as I watched Tim McVeigh being led out of the courthouse, I hoped someone in a high building with a rifle would shoot him dead. I wanted him to fry. In fact, I'd have killed him myself if I had the chance. That is such a seductive lie. He was in absolute, understandable, complete agony in a total prison of being hurt. And then he put himself in solitary confinement because of this seductive lie. These are his words again. 
Unable to deal with the pain of Julie's death, I started self-medicating with alcohol until eventually the hangovers were lasting all day. He was in a descent, spiraling out of control because of the pain he was in. The increase in alcoholism, drug abuse, suicide, and broken families among the relatives of the Oklahoma City bombing victims has been well examined, studied, and reported. And I bet if you did the exact same study for every other mass tragedy, you would find the exact same thing. And those numbers do not correlate when someone just loses a loved one to normal death. So it's obviously not the loss. It's the prison of non-grace. Then about a year after his daughter was killed, Bud chose a different path. He began to choose grace. He began to choose forgiveness over revenge. He began to choose love over hate. This was what he said about that moment. Then on a cold January day, 1996, I came to the bomb site as I did every day. And I looked across the wasteland where the Murrah building once stood. My head was splitting from drinking the night before and I thought, I have to do something different because what I'm doing isn't working. I started to reconcile things in my mind and finally concluded that it was revenge and hate that had killed Julie and the 167 others. Grace might not work on someone else that you're giving grace to. And it might not right away change the world. But I can guarantee you, hate will definitely not work. So after Timothy McVeigh had been sentenced to death, Bud talks of seeing a news report on Tim McVeigh's father, Bill. In the news footage, Bill was shown stooping down over a garden. And when he stood up, Bud could see that he had been physically bent over in pain. Bud knew that because he had that same pain ever since his daughter had been killed. Bud knew right then he had to meet Bill McVeigh. If you're a parent and you're still thinking about people killing your child, think about this. So he traveled to Bill's house near Buffalo, New York. Bill McVeigh's daughter, Jennifer, Timothy McVeigh's sister, also came to meet Bud. The three stood in the garden in the backyard. Bill asked Bud if he was able to cry. Bud said he had no problems crying, and he cried often for his daughter. And then he said, but Bill, why do you ask? Bill McVeigh responded that he cannot cry, even though he has a lot to cry about it. Then the three of them went in and sat around the table. Up on the wall, there were family snapshots like we all have in our house, including Tim and his graduation picture. Bud, because of grace, was able to look Bill McVeigh in the eye and said, Bill, Timothy sure is a good-looking kid. Bud wasn't in a prison anymore. He was free. And when he looked at Bill, he saw a big tear rolling down his face. 
It was the love of a father for a son. And it dawned on Bud at that very moment that Bill was in a very dark place too. At least Bud could talk to anyone about his beautiful daughter and say wonderful things about her and keep her memory alive. But Bill McVeigh probably could not even acknowledge to a stranger that he had a son. When Bud got ready to leave the McVeigh's home, Jennifer, the daughter, just grabbed him, threw her arms around him, and they both held each other and cried. Jennifer was the same age as his daughter would have been. He took her face in his hands and said, Honey, the three of us are in this for the rest of our lives. I don't want your brother to die, and I'll do everything I can to prevent it. And Bud kept his word. And he tried to keep the killer of his own daughter from being executed. And this is what he had to say. I found it in my heart to forgive Tim McVeigh. It was a release for me. If you are under the illusion that ungrace is helping you, you're wrong. Try grace, as painful as it might be. Bud chose forgiveness over revenge, love over hate, freedom over chains, life over death, Sunday over Friday. We are a religion of Sunday. Why are we living in Friday? And we're here on Easter because we know deep inside that's what we want. Bud's choice of grace gave him salvation for himself, gave him heaven in the midst of hell, freedom from his pain and suffering, and also brought a very bright and real hope to others living in a world of deep darkness without hope. You don't have to believe me and listen to me because that's not my story. And I honestly don't know what my story would be if my daughter was killed. But I beg you, if you know me and my daughter gets killed, don't any of you come to me and tell me not to forgive. Please don't. Please don't. I don't want to live in that hell. Be my true friend. And even when I'm raging, tell me grace is better. Timothy McVeigh got killed, no matter what Bud Welch said, because Bud was one of the only voices speaking grace. And violence was met with violence. That is Easter. What Bud Welch did is true. What Jesus did is true. That's the reality of Jesus Christ. That's the endless possibilities of redemption. That is grace.
might we all live resurrection in every day of our lives with God's help.